May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Merry Christmas! I'm so glad that you're here tonight because tonight in churches all over the world, literally, there will be several billion people that will gather in churches just like this tonight to celebrate the Christmas story. Not Santa or Rudolph or the Grinch or like a little boy with a you know, Red Ryder BB gun. Okay, that's not the real Christmas story. They will get together to celebrate one thing, the birth of of Jesus Christ. That is the true Christmas story. Um, you know, last year I took a group of people from Parkway Fellowship to Israel to see some of the holiest sites in the world. And um, anyway, in Israel, there are some of the sites that you go to that scholars and archaeologists, you know, they think that this might be the place where a certain biblical event occurred, but you know, they're, they're not completely sure. But there's other places that you go where they could say with great certainty that, yeah, this is where this biblical event occurred. Well, the stable where Jesus is born is one of those places where scholars can say with great certainty that, hey, yes, this is the place where it happened. It's like, literally, you can go to the spot where Jesus was born. I'm telling you, like, it's incredible. And, and now, when our group, when we went there, when we went to the stable where Jesus was born, I was really surprised because there were two things about it that I didn't know. The first is that the stable is not made out of wood. See, in Israel, the soil is really thin, and so they, their land just simply can't support trees that are big enough to be used for lumber. And so lumber is a very valuable and precious and somewhat rare resource in that country. And so therefore it's incredibly expensive. And so they would never use wood to build a building to house animals. They would never use it for that. And so actually the stable is not a stable made of wood like we would have in America. The stable is actually a cave. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cave. In fact, there's these little cave, like a cave that would be like in the side of a hill, not like you go down in there, like in the side of a hill. In fact, I brought a picture of a cave in Israel. Let's go ahead and show this, if we could, please. This is a picture of a cave in the side of a hill in Israel, and these are fairly common. They're, they're not very rare, and so you could see, you imagine, like maybe there could be like an inn off to the left, and so as travelers would come, they would check in the inn, then they would take their animals to, into the cave where you know, they could tie them up, and there would be water, and there would be straw, and there would be things for them to eat, and a place for them to bed down for the night. That's pretty common. That's just what they did in Israel in the day. Pretty amazing, right? Now, if they wouldn't use wood to build a stable, do you think that they use wood to build a manger? Nope. The manger also was made out of stone. In fact, when I was in Israel, we took a picture by a stone manger. Here's a picture. I want to show this to you. Yeah, that's me and Amy by a stone manger. Isn't she cute, y'all? Yeah. So that's us by a real stone manger in Israel. And so you can see that, like, imagine, like, that's where animals would come and they would eat out of that manger and also make a great place if it was lined with straw 
to lay a newborn babe. That's what they would have done. Now, that other picture is not the real cave. Uh, the real cave is actually has a church around it, and so you don't even know you're in a cave until you actually get to that part of the church. And that's not the real manger. The real manger was um, taken away during the Crusades, and so who knows what's become of it nowadays. But that's what it would have looked like. So the reason I tell you all this is not to stress you out, because I know like there's some of you that are like, okay, great. Like, seriously, do I need to go home to my manger scene at the house and like put baby Jesus on a rock? Like, is that what I need to do? Like, no, you can just leave baby Jesus where he is, okay? Like, it's perfectly fine. Because look, most of us, like, we've got a pretty traditional view of the manger scene. And that's, and that, look, that's okay. That's perfectly fine. But we just need to realize that the reason we have that view is because that's what other people told us it looked like. And that might not necessarily line up with the reality. Get this. In the very same way, in the very same way, there are sometimes things that we think about God and about Jesus that the reason we think that is because that's what someone else told us is true. But it might not necessarily line up with reality. And it's, it's not really that big of a deal when it's all when it's just about a manger, whether it's stone or wood. You know, who really cares? But when it comes to the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ, well, that's a whole other level of importance. Because there are some people, oh, they're so mad at God about something that happened in their life. But you know what? God probably didn't have anything to do with it. God's not the one that made those things happen, but boy, they sure are mad at God because somebody told them that God did that to them. Or there's other people that, you know, they don't believe in God at all. They don't believe that God exists because they were told as a kid that God doesn't exist. So they just live their lives completely as if God wasn't real. And there's other people that are, um, that have just walked away from God. As a kid, something bad happened, and so they said, they're, they, they're so upset, they just said, you know what, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you, and so they just walk away from him, and, beca- and they still hold it against him. They, they walk away from God, Jesus, the church, all of it. You know? And there's other people that were told that, you know what, God doesn't really have anything to do with your like, day-to-day life. You know, your life is what you make of it. And so they treat God like he's just an activity that you do on a Sunday, Or that he's just something that you do like at Easter or on Christmas Eve. But none of those things are true. Because look, just because somebody taught you something growing up, does that make it true? Not necessarily. And so tonight on Christmas Eve, it seems the most appropriate that we would take a few moments and look at the elements of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ. And let's look at what God says about himself and about Jesus and about us. Because really, what better place to learn the real truth than from what God says about himself? And that would give us a clearer understanding of Christmas, of God, and of us. So go ahead and pull out your message notes, and let's start with this question. You know, we'll ask, what do I learn from the Christmas story that's true about God and about me? What do I learn? Well, the first thing I learned is this, is that God planned Jesus because of me. God planned Jesus because of me. 
Now, there were lots of prophecies that were predicted about the Messiah. Tonight, we have time to cover four of the very biggest ones. And look, these are prophecies that were made 500 to 1,000 years earlier, okay? So this isn't like something that somebody just, you know, pulled out of the horoscope the week before Jesus was born, okay? This was, these were predicted long, long before Christ ever was born. And so let's look at four of these. And let's see what we learn. Here's the first of the prophecies. The first prophecy was that he would be called a Nazarene. He'd be called a Nazarene. That means that he would be from the town of Nazareth. Now look, Nazareth is like, it's a little bitty town. And honestly, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And so we're talking about a pretty small pool of candidates at this point. Okay? Secondly, the second prophecy is that he would be born in Bethlehem. So he would live in Nazareth, which is in the northern part of the country, but he would be born in Bethlehem, which is 90 miles to the south. Now to us, that's no big deal because you're like, okay, just to to make a move 90 miles north and just get in the car there an hour and a half, or the way some of you drive less. But, But to them, if you were born here, if you were gonna move 90 miles, listen, you're dragging everything by foot and by cart with a donkey. So most people didn't move. They, most people lived in the town they were born in because moving was just hard. So now, the people that live in Nazareth but were born 90 miles south there, now that's a really small pool of candidates. And then the third prophecy is that he will be born from the lineage of King David. Okay, now we're getting to a tiny group of possibilities of who this could be. And then the fourth was that he will be born of a virgin, Okay, now let's be honest. Of all the prophecies, this is probably the most limiting, don't you think? And really, up until this time, um, the number of people that would meet these qualifications is um, like none. Like nobody has been born of a virgin at that stage. Now, here's the crazy thing. In the opening verses of the Christmas story, three of the four prophecies come to pass. Three out of four. Let's look at it. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him, who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time for the, came for the baby to be born. So literally, in the opening verses of the Christmas story, we find out that the hometown of Jesus is going to be Nazareth, but yet he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Why? Because he's of the line of King David. Three of the four. Okay, and then we get to the fourth prophecy where Jesus is born of a virgin. Now, this passage occurs actually before Mary becomes pregnant, so we got to go back in the timeline just a little bit. In Luke chapter 1, the Bible says, But the angel said to her, to Mary, he said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born 
will be called the Son of God. And sure enough, things happened just like the angel said, okay? Now, here is what I want you to see. I want you to see the amount of planning that God did just to have Jesus born as the prophecy said, okay? First, God had to make sure that Joseph was born in the line of King David, which he was. Second, God had to make sure that although Joseph was and his family were born in Bethlehem, that God had orchestrated his life so that he would actually live in Nazareth. Third, God had to make sure that they made the trek back to Bethlehem so Jesus could be born in Bethlehem. Now, ladies, let me ask you this. If you're nine months pregnant, literally, your due date is any day. What would it take to get you on a donkey and go 90 miles? Like, that would take like an act of God, right? That's what we have, right? And then the last one, to be born of a virgin, you know what, that's something that only God can do. You know, and there's, there's one more part of God's planning that I want you to see that actually wasn't part of any kind of prophecy. You see, God knew exactly where on this planet that Jesus was going to be born. He knew that from the beginning of time. And so, when God was creating the world, he created and carved out a little cave in the side of a hill right on the outskirts of Bethlehem, knowing that one day someone was going to build an inn right next to it and use it as a stable. But God would use it as the birthplace of his son. And so literally, God has been planning the birth of Jesus since the beginning of time. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Why would God go to such great lengths to plan the birth of Jesus? Well, let me ask you a question. If for Christmas, someone gives you a gift that took an extraordinary amount of planning, that they went to great pains to make or create or to plan or to orchestrate to make that gift happen, and then once you open that gift and you realize all that they did to make that gift go down, what does that tell you about how they feel about you? That they love you with an enormous amount of love because they would go to all of that time and trouble to give that gift to you. In the very same way, God went to all of that time and that trouble and that extent of planning to bring Jesus into this world for one reason and one reason only. It's because he loves you. And he loves you a lot. You know what? And you might not even believe in him. But no matter, he still loves you. You might have great doubts about God. But no matter, he still loves you. You might be so angry at God and you might just shake your fist at heaven and curse his name, but no matter, he still loves you. 
Maybe something happened way back in your past and it caused you so much hurt and so much pain and you've just walked away from God. You don't want to have anything to do with him, but no matter. He loves you. You might already love God. You might have a great relationship with him. That's wonderful. And I can tell you this, God loves you just as much today as he ever has. See, my point is, is the whole reason that God sent Jesus is because he loves you. In fact, look at the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16, the Bible says this, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Let me ask this. Why was sending Jesus such a loving thing? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because you and I need Jesus. We need him. Because the Bible is also very clear that it's our sins that separate us from God. And when we sin, it separates us from God, and um, we cannot have a relationship with God while we're here on this earth, nor a relationship with him in heaven when we die. And so since our sins separate us from God, we need to have our sin problem dealt with so that our sins can be removed, so that we can have a relationship with God here on this earth and we can go to heaven when we die. We need Jesus. We need someone to do something about our sin problem because we can't do anything about it ourselves. The second thing that we learn on the, about Christmas and about God and about ourselves is this, is number two, I need to make room for Jesus in my life. I need to make room for Jesus in my life. Look what else happened that very first Christmas Eve in Luke chapter two, verse six and seven. It says this, is while they were there, that's Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger. And I want you to underline the rest of this. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now look, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Okay? Here's Mary and Joseph. They had to sleep in the stable with all of the animals because there was no room for them in the inn that night. And so, in fact, Mary was so pregnant that she literally, she could have her baby any day now. And she did. She had him that day in the stable that very night. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Okay? If you were the innkeeper and you knew then what you know now about Jesus, okay? That you know that he's, the, he's God's son, the savior of the world, that literally billions of people will one day worship him, that the whole world will set their calendar by his birth. If you knew that then, then if, as the innkeeper, wouldn't you have made room for him in the inn? I mean, wouldn't you have made some other person give up their room so Mary and Joseph could have a place to stay? I mean, wouldn't you at very least have given up your room so that Mary and Joseph would have had a place to stay? Well, of course you would. I mean, how cool would it have been to go down in history as the person who gave up their room for Jesus the night he was born? Like, that would have been awesome, right? 
And look, and even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe in this stuff, I mean, knowing what the world says about how important Jesus is, I mean, wouldn't you have made room in the end for him? Of course you would. So, if you would have made room for him in the end that night, would you make room for him in your life this night? If you would have made room for him in the end that night, would you make room for him in your life this night? See, the innkeeper that night, he was so busy with his own life and his own end that were you know, full of guests that he missed out on the fact that the Son of God was being born in the stable out back. In the very same way, sometimes you and I, we get so consumed with all of our comings and goings and our commitments and our obligations and the things that we have to do that sometimes we miss God coming near to us. See, every time someone invites you to go to church, that's God reaching out to you. Every time someone invites you to go to a small group or to a Bible study, or every time someone brings up God or Jesus or church in a conversation, all of that is God reaching out to you. That's all God coming near to you. See, you might think that you are here tonight because, oh, we know this is our Christmas Eve tradition, or, you know, like, oh, I'm from out of town and my relatives go to that church, so I guess I'll just go to church with them. No, 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 no. It's way bigger than that. See, if God would orchestrate the event to get Mary and Joseph from Bethlehem, I mean from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem on a specific night, I believe that God has orchestrated the events in your life to get you here to Parkway Fellowship tonight. And there's a reason for it. And if you have never become a Christ follower, the first step for you to make room for Jesus in your life is to ask him to come into your life to forgive you. Because you see, it's true that your sins separate you from God. But Jesus came to this earth for one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to die. To die on a cross so that his death could purchase forgiveness for your sins. Because the Bible is also clear that whenever there's sins, there has to be a penalty for that sin. Jesus was willing to pay your penalty for you with his life. So you have a choice. You can either pay the penalty of your sins yourself by being separated from God here on this earth and separated from him for eternity after you die, or you can accept Jesus' forgiveness and have him pay your penalty for you so you can have a relation with God here on this earth and a relation with him after you die in heaven. And so for you, that first step might be that you need to pray a prayer asking Jesus to forgive you. Now, the expectation is, is that you would follow him from that day forward. So if you've never done that, there's a, there's a prayer inside your bulletin. It's on your bottom of your worship notes. If you've never prayed that prayer before, oh, please, Christmas Eve, pray that prayer. Take that first step of faith and become a Christ follower. Now, for those of you that have already prayed that prayer at some point in time in your life, then maybe tonight God is asking you to make room for Jesus in your life more regularly. And you do that by coming to church more regularly. See, look, it makes no sense to me that, that the fact that 
The reason that God sent Jesus was so that you could have a relationship with him. The reason he moved that sin is so you could have a relationship with him. So it makes no sense to me that someone would say, oh, yes, I want that forgiveness, but I don't really want to have any kind of relationship with you, God. That doesn't even make any sense because the whole reason God removed that sin from you is so that you could have a relationship with him. And I think that's one thing that some Christians don't understand about Christianity is that Christianity is more about having a relationship. Some people think that God just wants them to be more religious, and that's not true. And so for you, to make more room for Jesus in your life, make a commitment to come to church more regularly. Make a commitment to read your Bible so that you can discover and know more about God. Make a commitment to pray so that you can build that relation with God and God can guide you in this life. And so maybe that's what you need to do. And maybe there's some others you're like, you know what, I'm just, che- I'm just checking out this whole God thing. I, I, I'm I kind of undecided about God and about any of this kind of stuff. Well, you know what, for you, make a commitment to come to church in 2016 so that you can learn more and discover if this is even real or not. I mean, literally, what do you got to lose? An hour on a Sunday? That's so little to give compared to how much you could gain. So look, for all of us, understand, God did so much planning for you, including making a cave so that Jesus could be born on that very first Christmas Eve, and he did it because he loves you. He's made that clear. And so now, he waits for you. He waits for you to reach out to him and say, okay, God, I'm making room for you in my life. Would you make that commitment tonight? Would you make a commitment to respond to him like that? I'm going to give you a chance to respond to God. I want to give everybody a chance to do that. So what I want you to do is I want you to find your connection card, and there's some commitments to make on the back of the card. I want us to take a moment. I want us to go through these commitments together. And so I want you to check the commitments that you're willing to make. I'll give you a moment to grab that card. For you, what you're saying is for you, maybe it's this first one. God, thank you for planning Christmas because of me. Would that be maybe your first response to God? Say, God, I just want to say thank you. Would you do that? Or number two, God, I will make room in my life for Jesus by praying to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. So if you've never prayed that prayer before, but you're going to pray it tonight or you've already prayed it tonight, then I want you to check this box because we want to mail some stuff in the mail to you to help you get started. But more than anything, pick up a new believer packet. They're on a little table just before you walk outside of every door. Just grab a new believer packet on your way out. Would you please, if you check this, if you check this one. Maybe for some of you it's number three. I will make room for Jesus in my life by coming to church regularly in 2016. Would that be a commitment that you'd make? Number four, I'll make room for Jesus in my life by praying and reading my Bible regularly in 2016. Would that be a commitment you'd make? Or maybe this last one, I will read the entire Christmas story with my family this Christmas, and I've given you the places in the Bible where it is in Matthew and in Luke. Would you make that part of your Christmas tradition? So, I'd like everybody to bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for tonight. Thank you that you planned for Jesus because of us, because you love us so much. 
And I pray for every person that's listening to me, God, that you would help all of us make more room for Jesus in our lives. For those that have prayed that prayer to ask him to come into their life for the first time, I ask that you would help them follow through with that. And, for, and I, I celebrate that and thank you for that tonight. And for those that have already prayed that prayer before, but are ready to up their commitment and ready to make more room in their life for you, Jesus. I ask that you would help them follow you more closely and develop and deepen that relationship with you like they've never had before. And it would be a source of joy and excitement and thrill for them. And you would guide them through life. I love you. We ask you to do all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.